1: Saul was a man after his own heart, whereas the next guy, David, was a man after God's own heart. Saul gets replaced by David. David is the gold standard for rulers after that. He will always be compared to every other king. Um, Did he have the same sort of heart? Not that David was perfect. He was far from it. In fact, we saw last time how imperfect David was. A man after God's own heart, yes, but a man who was a failure in his family nonetheless.
0: God offers us grace, forgiveness, and mercy, but that doesn't mean we won't experience the consequences of our choices. And today on Connect with Skip Heitzig, Skip talks about David's last years on earth, sharing some lessons you can learn from his legacy. Before we begin, Skip wants to share about an encouraging new project from his wife Lenya.
1: I want to let you know that my wife, Lenya, is launching a brand new podcast starting January 14th called All the Things. In this unscripted podcast, she and her co-host, Lindsay Maestas, engage in fun, in-depth conversation while tackling some pretty hard-hitting topics. The interviews during launch week will be a real treat with special guests like Levi and Jenny Lusco, Joel Rosenberg, and Edward Graham. It'll be available wherever you
0: listen to your podcasts. Be sure to subscribe when it launches. Thank you, Skip. Now, here's a great resource that will help you build up your faith by helping you go deeper in Bible study this year.
2: What kind of Bible student are you? Casual? Serious? Totally dedicated? Whichever describes you, here's a fast fact about improving your studies. Beyond listening and reading, here are two proven ways to make your Bible study more effective. Write down what you learn then tell someone else about it. How good is that? Your understanding of the Bible can be improved in 2020 and beyond. That's why we want to put a Bible from 30,000 feet workbook in your hands and into your life. Remember, a quick overview of a passage or even an entire book may be helpful, but to really appreciate the full landscape of Scripture across all 66 books, you need something more than a snapshot. We want to help you grasp the full scope of principles of Scripture with the companion workbook to Skip Heitzig's study The Bible from 30,000 Feet. We'll send you your copy of The Bible from 30,000 Feet workbook when you give a generous donation of $35 or more today to keep this program on air and connect more people to God's Word. To give today, call 800-922-1888 or give online securely at connectwithskip.com slash offer.
0: Okay. Let's dive into today's teaching. We'll be in the book of 1 Kings as Skip Heitzig begins the study.
2: Would you agree that people
1: today are pretty burned out on politics? We're kind of fed up with politics... I mean, we, we always are. I always am, usually. There's sort of a side of me that likes to just sort of get interested in it, look at the news, flirt with it, see what they're doing, and then then I see what they're doing, and I hear what they're doing, and I go, Ugh, I don't want to have anything to do with it. Then a few days later, it's like, I wonder what they're doing, and I start looking again. But but I just think people are tired of the, the divisiveness, and uh, we're sort of sick of the rhetoric and, and, uh, and all that that brings which brings me to a story about three men who were friends and they were arguing, they were having a conversation, but it sort of turned into a a little disagreement. One was a surgeon, and then uh, the second was um, uh, a politician, and the third was an engineer. And they were arguing about whose profession among those three was the oldest profession historically. And the surgeon says, Well, gentlemen, you know, the Bible says that God formed woman by carving out a rib of man. That makes mine, the surgeon, the oldest profession in the world. The engineer said, Not so fast. Uh, Before that, we are told that God created the earth out of chaos. Now, that's the job of an engineer. And the politician was over in the corner smiling widely, and he said, Ah, but who made the chaos? If you remember back in 1 Samuel chapter 8, there was a point in their history that brought chaos. And that's in 1 Samuel 8. I'm going back a couple books. You don't have to turn there. But they wanted a king. The people begged for a politician, a king, so that, in their words, we can be like other nations. That's what they wanted. They wanted to be like everybody else. They wanted to be like other nations. What they failed to remember is that the secret of their greatness was the fact that they were unlike other nations, that they had a very unique relationship, a covenant relationship with the living God. God wanted to be in charge. He would have loved it if there was a theocratic kingdom. One day there will be on the earth. It'll be a while, but it will come. And so they cried out for a king. They got one. He wasn't very good. His name was Saul. Saul was a man after his own heart. Whereas the next guy, David, was a man after God's own heart. Saul gets replaced by David. David is the gold standard for rulers after that. He will always be compared to every other king. Um, Did he have the same sort of heart? Not that David was perfect. He was far from it. In fact, we saw last time how imperfect David was. A man after God's own heart, yes, but a man who was a failure in his family nonetheless. Now, from a worldly standpoint, David was a success. He was peerless. Monetarily, he brought economic prosperity to the nation. Militarily, he provided a strong army for the people. He was handsome. He was courageous. He was a visionary, but he couldn't control his family. And it brought pain to him. It brought trouble to him. Now we have David too, sort of. That is his son, Solomon, gets to be the next king. So we have Saul, followed by David, followed by Solomon. Three kings that form the rulership of a united monarchy. Keep that little phrase in mind because it won't stay united. In this book we see that it goes from united too divided. Solomon sees outward growth. He also sees political strength. But he also sees chaos on a spiritual level. All comes from David. David had problems in his family. Solomon also has mega problems, like David on steroids. You know how many wives and concubines Solomon ends up with just these crazy amount like you saw in that little spoof video. Thousands of women. David had a divided marriage, thus David had a divided heart, thus David left as a legacy a divided nation. He was a divided individual. Now, speaking of dividing, let's divide the book. There are 22 chapters. You can cut it in half and you have the outline. The first 11 chapters are about the united kingdom, and I'm not speaking about Great Britain. I'm speaking about the united of the north and the south, the the 12 tribes of Israel under uh, solid, unified leadership. Chapters 1 through 11 are about the united kingdom and the reign of Solomon. Then the next half, chapters 12 through 22, is the divided kingdom and not the reign of Solomon, but the reign of several Several kings come north and south as it gets to be very confusing. We begin in chapter 1, verse 1. Now King David was old. I want you to mark that because I'm going to tell you how old in a minute and you're going to go, wait a minute. It just says David was old. He's advanced in years. And they put covers on him, but he could not get warm. Now, a lot of times there are old guys and gals in the Bible that are like 100 years old, and you go, well, that's pretty old, or 120, well, that's really old. David died at age 70, yet it says he was old. All I can say is that David lived a hard life, and the years took their toll on David physically, spiritually, mentally. You know some of his background, so it's not hard to imagine what he was like at that age. He had lived a hard life; his body was pretty shot, and at age seventy, he can't get warm. So, in his weakened condition, because this incredible leader, the successful leader, is in a weakened condition, whenever somebody who is a leader is weak, somebody, uh, some others, are looking for that time of weakness to use it as an opportune time. David had a fourth son who takes advantage of his weakness. His name is Adonijah, takes advantage of the weakened condition, and in verse 5 we are told, then Adonijah, the son of Haggith, exalted himself, saying, I will be king, and he prepared for himself chariots and horsemen and 50 men to run before him. This is David's fourth son David's first son Amnon firstborn son was killed by Absalom Absalom David's son was killed by Joab his commander in chief his third son Kiliab died at a young age so this is number 4 his fourth son is now the oldest he decides apart from the king's sanction to get a group of people claim that he is king uh, stage an anointing down at a little spring outside of Jerusalem called En-Rogel. Nathan the prophet hears about it, comes to the palace, tells Bathsheba. They both rush in to David and they say, you wouldn't believe what your fourth-born son is doing. He has proclaimed himself king. Now evidently, Solomon had um, been promised the next kingship. David made a promise, perhaps to David, perhaps to Bathsheba, perhaps to both, that not Adonijah, but Solomon, would be the next king. So he is taken in haste. He is taken down to the Gihon Spring. They pour oil on him. They say a prayer. And he is anointed the king of Israel. That takes us to the death of David, which is seen in chapter 2 and his final instructions to his son, the next king, Solomon, third king in the United Kingdom. Chapter 2, verse 1, Now the days of David drew near that he should die. And he charged Solomon his son, saying, I go the way of all the earth. Be strong, therefore, and prove yourself a man. Now stop right there. There are some men, when they hear that phrase, show that you're a man, it means something different to them than what David means to Solomon. Some people hear that and they puff their chest up. I'll prove that I'm a man. I'll be tough and rough. I'll blow your house down, man. I'll fight whoever comes at me. I'll I'll prove that I'm a man. He says prove you're a man, but now he qualifies it. You want to see what a real man is? You want to see true masculinity? Verse 2 or verse um, 3. He says... Prove yourself a man, verse 2, verse 3, and keep the charge of the Lord. Keep the charge of the Lord your God to walk in His ways, to keep His statutes, His commandments, His judgments, His testimonies, as it is written in the law of Moses. As it is written in the law of Moses that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn. Do you remember that kings were told... In the Torah, so way back in the first five books of Moses, God anticipated Israel Israel's going to have a king. So he said, when you have a king, make sure that he gets a copy of the law, that he writes it himself. He copies it out and keeps it so he can read what the law is. So David said, show you're a man, prove yourself a man, stay true to the covenant that God has given. Verse 4, that the Lord may fulfill his word, which he spoke concerning me, saying, If your sons take heed to their way to walk before me in truth with all their heart and all their soul, he said, You shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. That's way back in 2 Samuel chapter 7. That's the covenant God made with David. He says that to Solomon, and then David dies. Verse 12, then Solomon sat on the throne of his father David, and his kingdom was firmly established. Now this begins a new reign of a new king. As I said, the third in the line of kings that are unifying the nation for a while. They are kings of a united monarchy. It's the beginning of a new reign... It sounds promising, it sounds good, and David, you know, you listen and go, wow, that's good advice, that's godly advice. But then the text reveals something else, something weird. Before David dies, he conspires with his son Solomon to take care of political business. And that is to assassinate people who have hounded David that David didn't take care of, but David knew that Solomon would find them such formidable enemies that he, in his novice condition, would not be able to handle them. So David gives instruction for political house cleaning to strengthen his son's hold on the kingdom. These were people David could handle. But David knew these probably weren't people Solomon could handle, so he gives instructions, first of all, concerning Joab, who was the commander of his army, but Joab had killed David's nephew Amasa, and he also killed Abner, the commander-in-chief of Saul's army. So David says, deal with him. And another guy by the name of Shimei is mentioned here. He was the guy who, when Absalom kicked David out of Jerusalem, Shema'i was by the side of the road on the Mount of Olives, cursing David, yelling at him. You creep. Who are you? You're nothing. You're trash. And David did nothing because he saw that as a judgment of God. And, and to his credit, he just passed it on. Years later, he remembers the guy. And he says, Solomon, take care of Shimei for me, would you? So there's some political housecleaning. Chapter 3, verse 3, is a breath of fresh air given that. We are told in that chapter and verse, Solomon loved the Lord. Now I don't know exactly what that means, given all that I know about Solomon and and, and even what he's doing here. But it says Solomon loved the Lord. How much he loved the Lord, I don't know. You don't know. The Lord knew his heart. But it was revealed that he loved the Lord. And twice in this section of Scripture of 1 Kings, God appears to Solomon and speaks to him verbally. Chapter 3, verse 5 It's a remarkable promise God gives to him. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, ask, what shall I give you? Now, how would you like God to do that for you? He appears to you, and he says, blank check, baby. You just won the lottery. You fill in the amount. Anything you want, I'll give to you. I am just going to tell you, I am so glad God did not give me that choice. Uh, That would be way too much for the Lord himself to make that kind of a promise. Ask anything you want, it's yours. Carte blanche. I think if the Lord did that to me, I would turn it back on him. And say, Lord, you know what I need better than I know what I need. You give me what you see fit. Like Solomon will even later pray, don't make me poor, don't make me rich, feed me with the food that's enough for me, lest I steal, uh, but I don't want to be too rich that I turn my heart from you, which Solomon eventually will do. But that was his prayer at that time, nonetheless. Well, he's at a place called Gibeon, not far from Jerusalem. The Lord reveals himself to Solomon. Solomon uh, offers burnt offerings to the Lord. A lot. In fact, a thousand burnt offerings. This guy was into doing it big. Verse 7, now, the Lord, now, Lord my God, he prays, Now, O Lord my God, You have made Your servant king instead of my father David. But I am a little child. I do not know how to go out or to come in. That's a Hebrew colloquialism for I don't have my act together. I don't know how to do this king stuff. I'm not experienced, and I admit it, I lack what it takes. And your servant continues in verse 8, and your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen a great people, too numerous to be numbered or counted. Therefore, give to your servant an understanding heart. That's what he asked for. This is what I want. This is what I want on the check, to Solomon, an understanding heart, an understanding heart. It literally means a hearing heart, a listening heart. And it probably refers to somebody who would listen to the voice of God as well as listen to the voice of the people and gauge what they need most and fulfill that in this covenant. Give me a hearing heart, an understanding heart. To judge your people that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? Solomon is feeling the weight, the leadership weight of his dad's kingdom upon his shoulders. And he realizes, look, I need wisdom to know how to handle this and to handle these people and make decisions. Um, years ago there was a slogan, Life is short, play hard. That was the slogan. Life is short, play hard. Play hard. Solomon's slogan was, I'm in charge, pray hard. That's how he started. I'm in charge, pray hard. And so he prays, and he prays fervently, and he prays with humility, he prayed smart. Verse 10, this speech, that is what he spoke in prayer to the Lord, pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. Then God said to him, Because you have asked this thing, and have not asked long life for yourself, nor have you asked for riches for yourself, nor have asked the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself, understanding to discern justice. Behold, I have done according to your words. See, I have given you a wise and understanding heart, so that there has not been anyone like you before you, nor shall any like you arise after you. He continues on in verse 13. But I'm going to give you what you didn't ask for as well. You asked for the right thing. I'm going to do that. Good on you. But I'm also going to give you what you didn't ask for, and that is both riches and honor. Now, chapter 4, in verse 29, it says, And God gave Solomon wisdom and exceedingly great understanding, now watch this, and largeness of heart, like the sand on the seashore. In other words, God gave him a vast breadth of understanding, an unusual amount of understanding and wisdom. So Solomon ruled with both his head and his heart, largeness of heart, You know, if you just rule with your head, if you've got all brains but no heart, the Bible says knowledge puffs up. Love builds up. It edifies. A balanced person has both brains and heart. Paul said, If I have all knowledge but I have not love, I am nothing. I've always loved that phrase. It's not a theological story, but the Grinch that stole Christmas... I know it's not in the Bible, (laughs) but I like that little phrase when it says, and they say in Whoville that day that the Grinch's small heart grew three sizes that day. I like the idea of somebody who has a small heart, his heart growing larger as he begins to love and care for people and have compassion on them. God answered his prayer in, in a beautiful way. So... Solomon begins by building a temple to God, restructuring the city of Jerusalem, building roadways and public buildings. And get this, go down to verse 32 of chapter 4. It says, He spoke 3,000 proverbs, and his songs were 1,005. Now get this, as an artist in the studio... He was even more prolific than King David, his father.
0: That's Skip Heitzig with a message for you today from the series The Bible from 30,000 Feet. Now we want to let you know about a unique opportunity you have to dive into the truths of the Bible Take your knowledge of Scripture to a whole new level with expositional teachings from Dr. Skip Heitzig, now available from Veritas International University, featuring online classes from The Bible from 30,000 Feet, the renowned book and teaching series by Dr. Skip Heitzig of Calvary Church, including Old Testament Survey, New Testament Survey, Genesis, and Revelation. Learn more about the Bible on your schedule and work toward a certificate or fully accredited undergraduate or graduate degree that will impact your spiritual life for the rest of your life. Plus, when you complete the Bible from 30,000 feet curriculum and connect with Calvary College, you'll receive a special certificate from Calvary Church. For a complete list of classes and to enroll, visit calvaryabq.college. That's calvaryabq.college.
2: Thank you for joining us today. Our goal is to connect listeners like you with the truths in God's Word so you can stand on its solid foundation. That's why we've made these Bible teachings available to you on a daily basis. If they've encouraged you in your faith, please consider giving a gift today to help keep these teachings on air and to bless other listeners in the same way. Just call 800-922-1888. That's 800-922-1888.
0: Thank you. Tomorrow, Skip Heitzig dives into the life of King Solomon to show you the importance of making choices with both wisdom and compassion.
1: Chapter 10, verse 1, When the Queen of Sheba heard the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to test him with hard questions. The word means riddles, puzzles, conundrums. Hey, figure this one out. Well, that's pretty good. Now, what about this? So Solomon answered... Notice this, all her questions.
0: Make a connection, make a connection at the foot of the crossing. with Skip Heitzig is a presentation of Connection Communications, connecting you to God's never-changing truth in ever-changing times.